marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Gentlemen and MBs, and welcome back to Warrior Death Show. We've been on a unintended hiatus for a little bit. I'm blaming that entirely on my lack of self-control and the amount of time I've spent in Final Fantasy XIV. I went back and I couldn't escape it. I couldn't divorce myself from it, as it were. I'm getting that out of my system now. I'm so sorry. Anyway, joining me, of course, as always, is the Soul Doctor. Hello. Uh, no, this is—it's not the Subtle Doctor. It is—it's me. Charlie Barber is played by Adam Driver in the film <laughs> Mirage Story. Hello. <laughs> Happy to be on this episode of, I don't know how to pronounce the name of your tiny podcast, but glad to be here. I I will Hello. say that I, it was a shock for me to watch this film and hear Adam Driver's voice because it's a lot deeper than I expected and I'm I'm sure someone might point out that maybe he was putting it on for the performance of, of the role he was in, or maybe it's his natural voice. In either way, like every time I look at it, I think he's going to sound a lot softer than that. And this, instead, he sounds like he should be ordering like whiskey at a bar. He had the great scene where he he they, he sang the Broadway number, and I was just like, "Whoa!" <laughs> I clearly haven't seen Adam Driver in enough movies. Clearly, we need more, more, more. <laughs> and if you know, and if you know what that's a reference to, then you're right at home with us. Yeah. Anyway, so yes, uh, we're here today to discuss something that's not anime. We sometimes cover anime, as we are a bad anime podcast, and sometimes we are also good occasionally. Uh, you know, rarity as it is. And I'm going to confess up front that I was the one who picked for us to watch this, and my reasons for picking this were very, very thin and flimsy. I've been meaning to watch Marriage Story for quite some time, um, but I never got around to it. And the reason I primarily was watching it was two things. One, it'd been well rated. And two, it features two actors, two lead actors, who I think primarily are known in pop culture for doing popcorn roles, for lack of a better phrase, that don't really allow them to flex their talents and show their skills off um, in acting otherwise. And so I thought, eh, you know what, we'll give it a shot. Why not? Uh, that's as specious as my reasoning gets, really, for watching it. Um, 
but I'm glad I did. I will say that now. Um, I'm glad I got the uh, got a chance to watch it. I was presently surprised in some ways about it. Um, but yeah, we're going to go through a quick plot, plot summary. Uh, we're going to go through some creative stuff, and then we're going to talking points here. Um, so we should provide some personal context first, though, because I think what would, uh, what would this podcast be without us like uh, oversharing? <laughs> some would say things uh, from our own uh, personal lives. So very on well, brand. This, ta- this time, shockingly enough, it's going to be pretty brief for me because. I think this is one of those films, though, like where you have to go into it. Well, I mean, everyone brings their own personal experience to a film, whether it's something fantastical or completely out of this world or something much more grounded like this film is. But this film, it's called Marriage Story, but joking aside, it is explicitly about the subjects of divorce. So I'm bringing up only this because... I'm actually going to not then use it later to discuss my uh, my feelings on the film because I don't think they're especially relevant. But the my parents separated when I was about 13 years old, give or take. They didn't actually divorce until much later, but for all intents and purposes, that was it. It was just a formality otherwise. Um, and I will say, though, um, I, without getting too ahead of myself here on the talking point element of it, I'm not the same age as the couple's son in this film at the time this happened. Like he's eight, if I recall correctly, and in the um, and I was thirteen. But what surprised me is that while I wasn't emotionally affected by the film, I was affected in such a way where it had nothing to do with my own personal experiences and the relatability thereof. Um, and I think that would probably be true for a lot of people, even if they've been, even if they were children and had their parents divorced at the time for reasons we'll explain when we get into talking about the film in more depth but yeah i it was an interesting film that surprised me a number of ways and that was not least of it because i thought oh i wonder if i'll relate my personal experiences to this in some way and the answer to that was no but that wasn't Hmm. a bad thing i still enjoyed the film a lot and still found it emotionally resonant yeah i too uh am a child of divorce so definitely empathize with you there shadon um so, so my birth father actually passed away when I was six. Um, and then my mother remarried and got divorced a year and change later. So I was either seven or eight the first time my mother got divorced. Uh, she subsequently went through another separation when we were still kids and then stayed with my stepdad until, yeah, I was in my either 20s or 30s. I want to say 20s like you and and they they had been on the outs for a little while and they officially divorced then. But but I've been through it um as a as a kid, you know, my my fair share of sort of family exploding uh situations and and tragedies. Uh as an adult too, not divorce but just other sort of forms of family tragedy that can that can really wreak havoc in the home and so yeah, I, I like you, like was going into the movie thinking like, okay, so like how, you know, will I relate to the kid? And I like this movie a whole lot and I'm really glad we watched it just like you. I'm glad you recommended it for a bunch of different reasons I'll talk about later. But yeah, I don't think any of them necessarily for me were like, oh, I got some catharsis or I got some relatability because I remember what it was like. Because quite frankly, like I... 
I don't want to be too flippant and say I've blocked a lot of it out, but like I think I, my brain has repressed quite a bit from that time. So oh, I definitely look at this more uh, through the lens as I sit here in 2023 watching the movie of like kind of putting my shoes, putting myself in the shoes of the father, right? Because I'm a father of uh, you know, mm. my my youngest son uh, is uh, he's eight, <clears throat> pardon me, eight years old. And I have two, ah, okay. two older than them. And so, yeah, just thinking about, you know, having been married for a long time uh, myself, you know, just sort of thinking about things like, okay, what if, what if this happened, right? Like, what if my own relationship with my wife deteriorated and I had to relearn how to be a father again without my partner? Uh, if I had to figure that out, figure out how to relate to this other human being my son and figure out how to relate to this other human being who is not a, a part of my life anymore in the same way. You know, my ex-wife, uh, hypothetical ex-wife, uh, it's like really, really did my head in <laughs> watching this movie was quite the experience, uh, <laughs> for me, I will tell you. Yeah. One other reason I wanted to watch this is to go back to the earlier point and this is where I get to make my extremely tenuous anime tie-in. <laughs> That's a trademark, by the way. Great. And it's all and it's all started with capital letters, every word. Let's talk about the lead actors just for a, a quick moment here. So, of course, if you've not seen Marriage Story, the lead actors are Adam Driver as Charlie Barber and Scarlett Johansson as Nicole Barber, the husband and wife, respectively, of this titular marriage story. Now... I'm going to start by talking about Adam Driver firstly. My experience with him in film is very limited, and that's entirely my own fault, as it is with everything when it comes to my limited experience of all media, because I'm absolutely terrible at watching uh, like a broad range of things. Um, but my knowledge with him basically starts and ends with the modern Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> Minus yeah. one, because I never watched Rise of Skywalker, because I don't <laughs> like, you know, to do... I don't like to commit violence against money, you know. <laughs> or if I'm going to do it, I'm at least going to burn it. Oh man, we're we're exactly the same. I've only ever seen Driver in uh The Force Awakens and uh God damn it. What's the eight what's episode eight called again? Um The Last Jedi. Yes, thank you. Yes, that one. Although if you were if you were a typical Star Wars fan, your answer would have been worst movie ever. <laughs> the woke one. <laughs> oh Christ. I'm going to put it on record, by the way. I thought Last Jedi was actually pretty decent. I think it was flawed, but I think it had some interesting ideas. I think it was certainly the most creative Star Wars had been at the time for oh quite my God, a long yes. time. <laughs> yes. um, but the fact that people seem to think it somehow torched and salted their childhoods makes me think that fandom as a concept needs to be banned. I'm, I've become more and more disdainful of the idea of fandom as time has gone by. And I've, I'm, yeah, that that certainly was a lightning rod moment for that. But for me, I, I liked the film well enough. I didn't like all of it. I think he had problems, but that's having a rounded critical opinion of it where you're honest mm. about it and not screaming like a petulant child. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's good. Go. It's good. I liked uh, episode eight. Um, you should, you should expose point. yourself. You should expose yourself to some positive fandoms, man. You need to go to a convention or, uh, I don't know, go to a, find a nice Discord server. Not that, listen, ours is extremely nice, but not very fanny. Uh, 
fan-ish. I don't know what the correct term is. Which, by the way, you can get access to our Discord server if you are so inclined. Uh, that's where all the, the cool kids are. Uh, and talk with us in, in our small community over there about anime, manga, wrestling, video games, and a whole sort of host of subjects. If you head on over to co-fi.com, coffee.com, slash show and make a donation of any size, you get invited to the Discord. It's fantastic. Check it out. Nice. That's Doc there winning the Olympic gold medal in Segway riding. Impressive. Did you say Segway um, riding? Yeah, I've never done segway, that. No, so you, it was a Segway you created um, from talking about fandom into promoting our Discord. Like, uh, like Jeff Bridges riding his little Segway? As the Segway is a concept, <laughs> like a tangent. Yes. No, 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 no yeah, I, know, yeah. I know what you no, mean. I'm, I'm fucking with um, Anyway, I'm, anyway. I'm, I'm going off the segue and crashing now, anyway. <laughs> um, so, so, so the point, though, about episode eight being good, um, Adam Driver as um, Ben Solo, um, Kylo Ren, um, angry, insert, self-insert, Star Wars fanboy, blah, blah, blah. You can read it however you want. He was legitimately good in that. I was impressed. Um, and on the flip side of that, we have Scarlett Johansson, who is mostly known for her role in the Avengers movies, I would say. Oh, I thought you were uh, going to say something else. I oh, don't worry. Say, I think I, she's known for her role in Ghost in the Shell. Well, that was what I was going to bring up next. No, funnily enough, she's not. She's been in so I many was, other I, good movies. Oh, for sure, for sure. I was going to bring it up to make my extremely tenuous anime connection trademark. Okay. Um, and you know what? I never went to see Ghost in the Shell, so what I'm about to say will come across like as daft, and probably I'm more likely than normal to be talking out my ass here. I read about it afterwards and the controversy around her casting. Um, because, you know, she is a white woman playing essentially an Asian character. Makoto Kusan- I mean, you know, Makoto Kusanagi here, like, you know, that that's not like, you know, calling her Jane Doe, really, is it? Let's be frank. <laughs> There's a reason that the name has cultural uh, ties. Um, so, I, fa- I read the wiki summary of the, of the film. And... Spoilers for Ghost in the Shell, but you can I think it's already spoiled itself by the virtue of being bad. Um, so we don't know if this really matters. But it turns out that the her character whose name's something else, like Anna Marie or some crap like that, uh, is Makoso Kusanagi, just that she was taken from being like, you know, a Asian kid and put in a white woman's body, Scarjo's body. I'm gonna say this. <laughs> if the entire film was about that. And the erasure of one's racial identity through cyberpunk or cyber or, or through future technology, uh, you know, and the forcing of whiteness onto um, ethnic priorities and the erasure of the diasporas as a result. One, I think that would be perfectly within keeping of the idea of ghosts in the shell as a concept of like, you know, can the self survive when transmitted to a machine form? And two, done properly, I think that would have been an excellent story. That's not what happened in the film itself, by the way, <laughs> from what I gather. It was just a really lib dick's excuse to try and justify, you know, her being this, like, to try and, like, digestively write in a reason why it's Scarlett Johansson playing Makosa Kusanagi. But I will I will defend the concept if done differently. I will not defend the execution at all, though. But that's something that's remained on my mind ever since I've read about that. But more pertinently... um. Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver, I think, together have mostly been known for playing characters in what I'm going to call crowd-pleasing popcorn flicks. 
I know that some people will disagree with me about The Last Jedi on that respect, and those people are wrong, but that's neither here nor there. Yes. But would you would you agree, Doc, that I don't think, generally speaking, in the public eye, either actor is particularly known for their acting chops as such, like where they're doing more dramatic roles? I mean, I guess it just depends, right? Because Johansson's career is really long, and, I mean, she's been in a ton of stuff. Like, um, you know, you've got her her right that we've reviewed on the pod she's the voice of uh of sam and that and that was a voice acting performance sure but um you know i'm also a, a big fan of the movie girl with the pearl earring she was in lost in translation um but like on the whole i mean you're probably right that like she's probably known not like so much for her incredible acting ability as other other things yeah, it's a question of perception versus reality because you're absolutely right to bring up those films in her his, in her acting history. Films, some of which I've not seen. We, of course, did discuss her, which was a very... Her the film, that is, which is very good. Um, and she's a, a major part of why that film is as good as it is, even though she's never physically on screen. Um, so part of me wanted to also just see, like, hey, let's see these two actors, like, you know, actually get to do something that they're passionate about, where they get to act rather than you know, standing in front of a green screen and making vague, wavy motions while covered in tennis balls. You know, <laughs> let's give them a try. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I have to say, though, like, that, that my reasoning for watching this film, as I say, was specious and thin and flimsy. I wanted to watch something that had been well-rated, that had, and in this case, I thought, oh, well, we've got two actors who are generally not recognized for their acting talent and more generally are known as being in uh you know pop culture movie vehicles or franchise vehicles um both which owned by disney funnily enough but i only i don't know why i brought that up it doesn't really matter um the and then i thought okay watch that and then we'll have some talking points afterwards and we can rate their performances and then like oh the film's actually about a lot more than that and it's got a substantial and very sharp axe to grind about certain topics looking at you uh u.s legal system (laughs) oh Oh my god oh oh, we'll get into that we will get into that um and yeah it's it was quite quite interesting to watch and quite good um so and yeah, we're gonna go I, through. Yeah, I thought this was the first movie to win an, an award that was produced by Netflix, but it looks like Roma won in 2018, and I think that was the first one. Um, hmm. But but Marriage Story did win uh, some Academy Awards. Uh, let me see how many. It was nominated for six. It won one. Although I don't know. I did the page I'm saying right. Uh, looking at right now does not. Uh, that that was the year Parasite won Best Picture, so it, it clearly wasn't uh, for that. Um, da, 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 da. um, oh, it looks like uh, it looks like Laura Dern won for Best Supporting Actress. Off to oh, uh, let well, me look well, into this. She she well, ruled okay. by the way. She was we, like, we'll talk about Laura Dern. <laughs> I know. I expected this movie, given the subject matter, to be just dour and like a really painful watch, right? Like I had a lot of preconceived notions about what this movie was going to be like. Mm. But it was actually in, in some scenes like 
and not necessarily like in spite of, but because of the absurd situations, right? Like, like you're talking Mm -hmm. about the the fucking fucked up legal system. It was so funny in moments. I really did uh, get a good chuckle out of the lawyers in particular, the Laura Dern character. And then, uh, 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 Charlie's first lawyer, uh, Alan Alda. (laughs) He was, he was fantastic. Yeah. I, I'm of the opinion, and you can feel free to scream me on this stop, but I'm of the opinion that the only two people who actually are presented as people in this entire film are um, Nicole and Charlie. Not even their kid escapes the curse of being presented as a cartoon character, because <laughs> that's how some of the lawyers certainly come across. I mean, never mind Laura Dern, you've got Ray Liotta performing as Charlie's second lawyer later in the film. Oh, he's great. (laughs) Yes. But everything comes across as almost like it's parody, even though it's extremely real. Uh, And I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but like that I found really fascinating and and amusing and also very sad. (laughs) But even the kid doesn't quite escape that. And that's something else I'm going to discuss. So we should probably talk quickly about creatives. And I'm going to just only keep this brief because this is not really my wheelhouse, but I think it's also a little bit of fun here. Um, this was directed by Noah Baumbach, and I probably completely butchered nope. that. Noah Baumbach. You're, I, I, oh. I say Baumbach, but bon, I don't think Baumbach is... Either way. Noah's probably was he was he, was he known in his college days as Noah Bombast? <laughs> I hope so. I, I should hope so. Uh, maybe that's going to be like his pseudonym when he starts like making acid house music. I don't know. Um, so I'm actually looking at his filmography here, and there's some fun little bits here. I've not seen a lot of this, but me neither. <laughs> he he co-wrote um, Fantastic Mr. Fox with yep. Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson's uh, film, the same name, of course, which I will say was exceptionally good. That movie rules. Uh, if you have not seen that yeah. movie, you need to watch it tonight. It is well fantastic yeah it's absolutely charming and delightful um some of this other stuff like i'm sure i i should recognize but the thing that's at the very bottom of the list that makes me chuckle <laughs> is that he uh noah as the co-writer of the upcoming 2023 <laughs> barbie film co-written with greta gerwig amazing i know next to nothing about i haven't even watched any of the trailers for it but the buzz around that has been shockingly positive for mm-hmm. a Barbie film. And hey, if it's good, then I can't argue with that. I'm just like, I don't know. It just feels almost like it should be a punchline in another universe. Like going for all this and then directing a uh, a Barbie film. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's an odd one, man. And uh, it's not his first movie that he's co-written with Greta Gerwig. Like I've heard really good things about Francis Ha. Uh, I've not mm. heard of a movie called Mistress America, but those are both movies that he like directed, wrote, and produced. But yeah, co-wrote, I guess, with Gerwig. Yeah. Also, the um, director of The Squid and the Whale, which apparently was a, a nominated for Academy Awards. So yeah, um, not as prolific as directors you might otherwise think. There have been some long gaps between some of his films, but he's generally speaking seems to have a pretty high batting average and. If Marriage Story is anything to go by, like, I would say he's pretty good. I think that the film may have a problem or two. I don't think it's flawless. But insofar as, like, what I think it was set out to 
what it was setting out to do. I think it did that pretty well, if I'm being quite honest. I suppose we should actually talk a little bit about the plot just to provide some context. And the joke answer to what the plot of this film is, if I'm being quite honest, is two people get divorced. That, that's also, it, really. It's also the serious answer. <laughs> yeah, it, it it is pretty much that. But it's more than that. And for reasons we'll elaborate in more detail and stuff that we've already alluded to, of course. But... To put this in context, uh, Nicole, played by Scarlett Johansson, and Charlie, played by Adam Driver, they are husband and wife who live in New York and are both part of a theatre troupe. The troupe in question is actually owned by... Oh, sorry, theatre company. Uh, The company in question is owned by Charlie. And we start off with a couple of scenes of them, like, talking about things they like about each other um, over performances that Nicole is giving in the theatre. Uh, if you're already thinking, is the theatre uh, aspect of this an allegory for the idea of performing inside marriage? Congratulations, yeah. you're exactly right. <laughs> that was my first t- thought when I watched this. Like, it's not exactly subtle. I don't mind, though, but I was like, yep, I, can, I see what you're doing with this. I get it. Um, but what happens is that Nicole is offered a role in a television show that requires her to go to Los Angeles. Now, Sidebar here, I've been in the United Kingdom, and you can fit the entirety of the United Kingdom, from what I recall, in at least a half of the states of the of the US. Talking about landmass here, the United Kingdom, to me, feels like it's a big country. It takes forever to get from one side to another, and merely that's because our public transport is dog shit. But uh, well, anyway, um, so. For me, as someone living outside the US, I didn't quite comprehend the enormity of the distance between New York and Los Angeles because they are on the opposite sides of the landmass. I think the only way you could make it any longer would be to travel from, say, St. Petersburg in Russia to Vladivostok. Just look up those two on Google Maps and you'll know what I mean. Um, But yeah, the, the, the distance between them is measured in the thousands of miles. It could not be further away unless they literally went to Hawaii. It's so, a six and a half hour nonstop flight. Ugh. Yeah. And that's a flight. <laughs> I mean, just, woof. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, you know, it, it's a cross-country flight in, on a U.S. airline as well. So, anyway. Um... This results in Nicole leaving. I should actually backtrack a little bit and mention that the framing device of them talking about the things they like about each other leads into them actually being in a mediator's office. But Nicole, having elocuted their thoughts in a monologue that is shared with us, in an inner monologue that is, doesn't then actually share them with Charlie or the mediator saying it's all bullshit, basically. Um, It's quite fun to, again, going back to the perception of Scarlett Johansson as like more of an action movie, popcorn flick star, to hear her say like, Clearly, I'm not needed since you two are so intent on sucking each other's dicks or something to that effect. <laughs> yes. Gave me quite a good chuckle with that. Um, but anyway, the a key thing, a key inciting element of all this is that, like, Nicole leaves to go to Los Angeles to take part in this pilot and takes their son, Henry, with her. Um, 
one thing I need to mention is that one of the inciting incidents that drives this entire divorce in the direction it does is that Nicole, through a suggestion from a colleague on the TV show she works on, decides to hire a divorce lawyer. And she doesn't hire any, just any divorce lawyer. <laughs> she hires... <laughs> She hires a divorce lawyer who I think, if she were in the military, would be like an assassin. <laughs> yes. Like, like we're, we're talking like, what if Agent 47 from Hitman decides to take up family law? Because um, there's, like, her character, uh, this divorce lawyer, Nora Fanshawe, uh, played by Laura Dern, who is just amazing in it. She's She's... She handles the how shall I put this the Instagram era like tea and biscuits, but also like you know daggers on her heels, daggers in her hands, lawyer <laughs> perfectly in a way that actually feels very terrifying. Um, but yeah, having hired that particular lawyer, uh, things escalate very quickly about the demands that are required. Uh, it in a way like the almost feels like it goes out of their control out of Nicole's control. Um, Charlie ends up getting um, a lawyer of his own, and then that feels like it's going out of his control. There's a lot of words given to him about like what will and will not happen with the law, given the differences between New York and Los Angeles. Um, a lot of... Um, a lot of allegations about each other's reputation and behavior and, and such is made, some of which are exaggerated uh, elements yeah. of the truth. Like Nicole, for example, apparently being an alcoholic, she drinks, but she drinks like regular people drink as presented in the film. Yes. And one thing I will uh, put a pin in for later is what we as the audience are presented about their lives is a very key part of this film's presentation as well. Um, something to bear in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, that felt very. And then all... That felt very true to life, I think, uh, because, I mean, this film was great about like the, uh, sort of, showing the transformation of two people that want an amicable, amicable divorce, that still care about each other. They they sort of get swallowed by this horrible monster of the legal system, and that sort of changes who they are in some respects because a lot of times they're speaking through the lawyers or the lawyers are speaking for them and it becomes about like winning and and not about sort of like what's best for other people or, or the whole and then to score points you know of course you're gonna like try to like claw at any advantage you could and exaggerate yep. these really terrible these like minor uh things that are you know very minor get into something huge uh, that felt very uh genuine yep and so things start rapidly spiraling out of control where everything was relatively civil before um the lawyer battle almost becomes its own kind of warfare um leading to as i've mentioned like we have some allegations of behavior that are not true or in the very case like require the context of hey nicole likes a drink but she doesn't then like a drink and beat henry with a belt or something like that you know yeah simply drinking alcohol is not a crime in of itself but in the legal system in the particularly in the back and forth uh almost fencing match nature of well you know uh you drink alcohol therefore you're immediately a bad mother um there is a wonderful line that nora mentions at some point where even though she is horrible and awful in <laughs> many respects it, she has 
a pearl of truth in this way. She says that women are treated differently by it and they she has to basically be the Virgin Mary in terms of her reputation. Yeah. Immaculate. Yeah, it's like, something in particular all... that she brings up like uh like a jury doesn't want to see I forget a such and such kind of woman, right? And it's like the dad could uh could do maybe it's like have infidelity or or drink or something like that that you know society is accepting of, of men doing this sort of thing and very forgiving as opposed to mothers right mothers no it's a hard no which uh was very telling mm. yeah unfortunately some even the worst people in the world sometimes can say something that is actually true and that i thought yeah i I don't like you as a character, Nora. I think there's a. I think you're an emblematic uh, symptom of a much larger disease in the system. But still, I can't disagree with your point. Um, so anyway, all this is going on. Uh, there are also allegations about behaviour that are true. Uh, Charlie has been unfaithful um, with one of the members of the fiercer group, for example. Uh, but not for example. It was the only time it's mentioned in the film. But anyway, mm. that's what's happened. Um, that's something that Nicole learns at some point through hacking his emails, right. which let's put it this way. He was wrong to do that. She was wrong to do that. Uh, is it, is she was wrong. He was wrong to sleep with someone else. She was wrong to hack his emails. Both things can be wrong actions to the w- degree of which or the gravity of each crime is up for debate, but I'm not of the opinion in this circumstance that because he did that, that makes that okay. Um, it's more kind of a catch twenty two, I would say, in that you know you, if you didn't know, and the one that you like, you know, you're, you're violating their trust to go and find out, and then oh, it turns out you were right, but what's been wrong? Anyway, he of course completely wrong to have done what he did as well. So there are actual actions that have happened that have driven them apart, not just a lot, a, a, a dissolution of feeling. One thing that happens in the film as well is that Charlie is forced to spend more and more time in Los Angeles as part of this ongoing litigation um, in order to strength in order to strengthen his um, to strengthen his case. He doesn't want to do that. He believes that he belongs in New York. That's where his theatre group is. Also, fair company is. He's recently been given a grant. He's trying to get a play launched there, but unfortunately, uh, it is pulling him away from there uh, to the point where he has to rent an apartment there. I'm sorry that I'm laughing while you're explaining. It's just, just thinking about back on uh, Alda's explanation of uh, just how just absurd it is. Cause he's like, look, you have to buy an apartment in Los Angeles so that people will think that you're here trying to be close to your son and you're in his life. But like, he's trying to prove that they don't live in Los Angeles. So to do that, he has to buy a home in Los Angeles. It's just insane. Everything's a contradiction in the legal system here. Uh, to the point where he has a discussion with his first lawyer, um, where he says, I told you to do this, and now it makes you look bad, but yeah, I told you this as well. Like, it, We'll get into the whole thing about the legal system in, in a bit. Don't you worry. But suffice to say that while uh, Nicole certainly has, advan- like, has the advantage, like, there's a lot of it that just stacks up against Charlie in ways that are completely irrelevant to him as a character, or not, well, not irrelevant to him, but not his fault as a character or as a person, but just because the legal system is bent like a dog's back fucking leg <laughs> to, like, be con- self-contradictory and basically exploitative in many ways. 
And just, oh, it just really, really not like a one size fits all, you know what I mean? Like, it, or, or that's what it tries to be. But like so many of these situations are just so different, but like, but yeah, it's just so inflexible and, you know, it's like built a way to protect certain people from other kind of bad people. But like, those might not be the particulars of the scenario. And so, yeah, yep. it's just really, really, it's tough, man. I, I never want to go through this. <laughs> just... No, no, not, nor I. Not even the, not even like in the context of not being married, just in the context of the emotional rot. Like, it's almost like an open wound. Like, um, yeah, yeah, it's horrible. So things culminate in a court session, which is something that both, like, to put, again, remind you, Earlier in the film, the discussion was we don't want to do lawyers at all. And then just completely by happenstance, this has just gone completely to somewhere they didn't expect. And that courtroom discussion is where both of them are raked over the coals by their respective lawyers while they don't say a word. I think with maybe one or two exceptions. Um, Following this, the two of them have a private meetup to try and discuss things without the lawyers inflaming um, the situation to try and take it back to the original um, framework they were going to go through, which was to discuss things without lawyer involvement. And this would have been a much less incendiary movie had that not happened. Had that happened, I will say. Um, Unfortunately though, man, this scene is incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, and for reasons I'll explain later, fortunately, the two of them end up like it's like watching two dams burst mm. and then the waves crashing against each other um they let rip at each other in and everything comes out all the inner resentment all the anger all the hate all the you know all of that stuff it's a cacophony of emotional back and forth emotional like sparring and just savaging each other over it but it does end with well it ends with charlie saying that he wants to be dead but that punctures the i'd say almost the um the red mist that both of them are in and he breaks down in tears because he realizes he's gone too far or has he? But I'll I'll get to that. I'm not condoning his actions by saying that, by the way. But I'm going to try and dissect the the emotional mechanics of that scene and what it's meant to represent separately. Uh, but they like the call ends up like you know comforting him, and they kind of reconcile a little bit. Um, there's a scene afterwards which I'm almost certain could have been excised from the movie, given it's also quite long. But it's all but it's one where uh, Charlie has to. Um, uh, basically, they have they have an expert evaluator. They call it, which makes it sound oh like God. they're pricing up a fucking car or a house. Yeah. Come round to see him and observe him and Henry uh, living in his apartment. It's the first time um, you've mentioned just, Henry in this. Uh, in the, I wonder why I might breakdown. have done that. Well, well, I've mentioned. I'm sure I've mentioned Henry once, twice. Yeah, before, that he existed. Yes, yes. Oh, he, he, he exists. All right, but again, I'll get to that in a bit. Um, that particular evening does not really end well for Charlie, given he actually ends up cutting himself with a little uh, pen knife he keeps. Um, it's a so it's a perfect uh, it, it's a perfect pilot for a sitcom of a father who's desperately trying to keep things under control, and then 
it all just falls apart. He's like, let me um, show you a trick. I have a little trick knife. The, and I the pretend trick, yeah. to stab myself with it, but yeah. I never do. Which, if you just step back and think about what you'd want to show to like someone from social services, oh yeah, I entertain my child by pretending to stab myself. <laughs> that could come off wrong uh, in the wrong circumstances, and so he does it and doesn't tuck it in in time, and he just gives himself this huge, ooh, <laughs> it's just spurting. Yeah. Which leaves him collapsed on the floor. Yes, I was like, I was worried. I was it. like, are they going to cut him in a hospital room? Is he, is he going to be mm, okay? About that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. I, I mean, I, I don't blame him for being stressed, though. He was being visited by a robot. Mm-hmm. That, that fucking evaluator lady. She like, was really I, funny, too, yes. <laughs> Just I mean, emotionless. does she have a soul? <laughs> I, don't know. Do you, I, I mean, I mean... I'm not talking like in the sense like the social services or whatever the equivalent would be in the US. So like those people don't source like she literally comes across like she's been programmed by SpaceX. Let's make the obvious joke here. Tesla. Right, right. right. Yeah. yeah. What what would what would Elmo Musk's nanny robot acts like? And I think that's it. Um but yeah, it doesn't go well for him. But we fast forward and Things are, when I say fast forward, it's a year later. And things are better. They haven't reconciled, though, which is the key point to stress. Like, it does end with them actually having finally been divorced. But things are better for both of them personally. Nicole's TV series is successful. She has a new partner. Charlie's play is successful. Uh, In fact, Nicole's even taken up directing as well. Um... So Charlie is going to be living in um, LA as well because he's taking up a residency there. So they will get to spend uh, share time with Henry without him having to fly back and forth 6,000 miles every time, however long it was. Um, The list I mentioned before that Nicole made where she was going to read out like the things that she likes about Charlie. Yeah. uh, Henry has found it somehow and is reading out. Charlie finds um, Henry doing this and helps him read through it. Something they established earlier in the film, which I haven't really brought, because it's only, I suppose, kind of relevant now, at least in in significant way, is that Henry... I don't know... I don't know anything about, like, children's development, really, so I don't know if he's behind. Oh, he's he's well behind. Yeah, as an eight-year-old, he's well behind in terms of reading. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Charlie is helping him read it, and as a result, ends up reading Nicole's words. Well, Nicole herself actually ends up overhearing this. Uh, And... They're all very emotive over it. Like, I think it's a uh, recognition, like, you know, that, hey, there was something worthwhile in their relationship. It wasn't all bad, which I think is a, a key point. Um, the This ends, like, with them basically, like, saying, okay, we've solved everything. We have near equal custody rights, and we are... Peace, you know, we're, we're friends now, like, we're cordial with each other, everything's alright, like, it was a difficult journey, but we're here, and we will be better for it. And that's the marriage story, or the end off, in mm-hmm. more ways than one, I guess. Man, you reading that note reminds me, have you ever heard the word, the song uh, Lover's Carvings by Bibio? New. I'm probably gonna use it for, for the intro, but, uh... The lyrics are about lovers' names carved in walls. They overlap and start to merge. And uh, let's see, where's the particular lyric? Maybe they fade away, weathered and overgrown. Time is told, 
meaningful hidden words suddenly appear from the murk. Maybe they're uh maybe they're telling us the end never was, never will. The words have gone, but the meaning will never disappear from the wall. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right to bring that up. I think that I think that's a good summation of the emotional core of the story. Yeah, uh, and and man, there's God really good movie <laughs> like i was uh i was again stunned because i i'll tell you i thought this was going to be like i said before really difficult and and dour and heavy and the subject matter is heavy. uh and it is a painful sort of movie but it's also it's also really really watchable like i could not stop watching it <laughs> the whole time i thought it was mm-hmm. it was paced really 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 well there's always something going on in which like something new happening and i was interested to see how it was going to play out you know how the the characters i was like really invested in immediately and um yeah i mean it was just just watching the movie from a like i'm gonna sit down and i want to be entertained uh you know standpoint really really good now i can totally see people being like okay i don't know man divorce it really uh it really sends me. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, if if that is a huge problem, I would say, you know, maybe wait. Well, you can come back to this movie later. Um, but no, I, I, I loved it to pieces and I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. Well, uh, we can do that right now as it happens. We don't currently have any, um, we don't have any Discord questions or write-ins to, this, to bring up today, but... I go back to what Doc said before. If you want to get involved on that and ask us questions about uh, whether, you know, about the crazy anime we're covering that's absolutely terrible or something pretty decent like this particular movie, uh, pop yourself over to co-fi.com forward slash warriedesho. Send a couple of, uh, you know, fiat currency bits to our way, whether, you know, whatever you want to send us that's actually not fungible token, non-fungible tokens, please. You know, actual money would be nice. And then you can pop on over to uh, our Discord and joining on the conversations we're having about anime, video games, uh, and get involved in asking those questions and discussing the topic or the show of, uh, that we'll, or movie that we'll be covering next. So yeah, head on over there, send me money. <laughs> yes, do it. Re- re- really, as simple as that. that I, I'm just going to, I'm not going to try and offer up another reason why you should do it. Just, just send me money just because why not? Shadan needs you know? uh, legal fees, as we've established <laughs> that it's uh, a blood-sucking group of vampires out there that just want to want to take from the working man and woman <laughs> i i hope i never need to have legal like what will my legal fees be for like would it be like someone bringing in like that scene from the simpsons like now for the court's um info we're going to bring in all the bags of shrimp that homer simpson ate last night but for me it'll be beer barrels i drank you said it was happy hour, <laughs> but I'm not very happy. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, we don't have any questions this time, so we're going to jump straight into talking points. I'm going to jump straight into uh, bringing up the thing that really took me aback, which is this film absolutely has it out for the US legal system in a way that I found very refreshing and very entertaining and very blunt. Um... I don't know how family law really works in the UK as far as this sort of stuff is concerned. I wasn't privy to the process of my own parents getting divorced like when I was in my 20s. I don't know what the 
turnaround time was for that. It just happened, and it's something that's in the rearview mirror, and it's not really all that relevant to me. I will say, though, I hope it's nothing like it's presented in Marriage Story, or even that in the US it's nothing like it's presented in Marriage Story, because lawyers are lecherous fucking... Sorry. Lawyers are fucking leech, leeching parasites as far as this film is concerned. I mean... The, the the discussion of retainers the uh, like the cost per uh, you know the cost per hour like they lay, they put that out front and it's like it's absolute extortion in terms of like the monetary value they want to extract from people. Bear in mind this takes place over a year as well, so like it's insane, absolutely insane. But then the inflammatory nature of the two lawyers fighting against each other, especially when it's Ray, Leo- Ray Leo- <laughs> Loyal Leosa coming in. Yes. Um, it, it's it's deeply fucking uncomfortable, not because of the context that's happening around Nicole and Charlie's divorce necessarily. That is uncomfortable, don't get me wrong. But because it almost feels like that they're weaponizing the very real emotional um, issues that are present here in order to, one, be a big swinging dick, it's like to prove a point. Like, I'm the, I'm the you know, the lawyer who solves all the cases and gets all the wins. Two, I think there's a little bit of perverse pleasure in it, at least definitely for, for, no, for Nora. Um, like, she seems to be enjoying it at times. Um, and three, like, they're doing it, like, to try and prolong stuff as well, I think, in some ways. Like, to... Because of the, well, the return they get on, like, you know, the ongoing monetary investment here. But that beyond what's happening with the lawyers in this, there's also just the law itself, which is completely, it's a fucking pretzel of bullshit. It, like, the thing that uh, Bert, Charlie's first lawyer, says, like, you've got to live in L.A. to prove that you're in, dedicated to the kid, but you can't also not live in L.A. Like, it, it's full of contradictions and... <laughs> There's the thing I mentioned that Nora brought before, which is um, that, you know, women are treated more harshly because they're expected to be saintly, uh, a term that, like, I'm using literally because she brings up the Virgin Mary in the comparison, mm-hmm. which is true. But also, like, they, they are bringing up things that, like, okay, Charlie, you've got to live here to prove you you're want to look after your kid, but you can't also live here, really, because it doesn't <laughs> work like... And, like Keep, you have to keep your residency like, in New York also. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. But Bert has a conversation with him that I swear you'd think was edited out of order because it's completely circular. Yeah, yeah. It's bananas. Um, There's a line in which Charlie says to Bert, like when he first hires him, like, oh, um, you're the first person who's talked to me like a human being. But even that falls away in the end because <laughs> Bert starts going and making like a long analogy in a later discussion. Um, and Charlie rightly fires back him, but am I paying you to crack jokes? Yeah. <laughs> no, so which, which is, is which, which uh. is which is which is funny from a which which is funny for um like for as for as an audience, but like from Charlie's perspective, I totally get it. Like he's paying him to sort out this issue to defend his parental rights, not to fucking crack wise and make analogies. I mean, if, if Bert wants to do that, why didn't he start his own podcast? Hey. So, so yeah, like, the the film has 
no love for the US legal system whatsoever. It makes one or two salient points about the hypocrisy of it, um, where there is seemingly intentions about it. Like, the other thing that was brought up was um, the... God, why was I, why is my brain gone completely blank right now? This is this is really inconvenient. I hate, I hate it. it when my hate brain it. Betray- it's the worst. Be- be- when my brain betrays us. Um, oh, where there was uh, there's a line mentioned by one of the lawyers at some point that says, um, "We're doing this to protect people from the worst kind of people. It's to protect against the worst cases." But uh huh. I-, I find that whole line of thinking to be very very like facile because if that's the case with law then where does that stop you know do we not let people leave the house at all because of fear they might murder someone even though they're never going to do that it's it's a logical fallacy like okay yes you need to come down on hard on the deadbeat dads and all that who are legitimately awful people if you, if in doing so, your law is too, so narrow as to actually disenfranchise and hurt, like, two people who have legitimate grievances against each other and legitimate arguments for custody of child, where it's a difficult, nuanced situation, yeah. then the law, as presented, at least in this film, is failing them. That's what I'm, I was saying earlier, right, about how it's so inflexible, and it's not really accommodating to different... To the, just the, the plethora of different situations that that are going to arise, you know, especially it, like you know, I, it feels like the the laws were were made when sort of men were the breadwinner of the home, and they made yep. plenty of money. They made enough money to support everyone, and then some. Right, money was more more plentiful, I guess. And then women weren't working, and that whole dynamic has changed a lot. A, a lot, a lot. So, um, you know, gosh. Uh, and, and that's just sort of one example, I think, or one one facet of just how, yeah, just sort of a broken and inflexible that the, the system can be and uh, how it can really just eat you up, right? <laughs> so Yeah, there, there's, there's a deep irony here in that Nicole wants to get wants to divorce from Charlie, but in doing so, she ends up putting herself in close proximity, like for a majority of her time, to a person who is infinitely worse than him. Yes, because she's a family lawyer who isn't actually interested in the emotional elements of the case beyond what value they could provide towards making a I win argument. It like. There's something about the way Nora comes across that, like I've said, like Instagram lawyer almost. Like uh-huh. it's like everything that she does, even down to like oh the uh, you know the tea and biscuits kind of thing that's going on. It feels so calculated, so cold. Yeah, and it culminates in a moment where you re- where I think Nicole realizes it, and I wish there was more to this scene a little bit rather than just oh it happened and I'm gonna just nothing's coming of it. Where after everything that goes down. Nicole, Nora and Nicole like have a wrap up conversation like when she's around at Nicole's place saying okay here's all the si- this is for the audience's benefit really more than anything else like explaining what actually was conceded and given away in the discussion so Nicole keeps Henry in LA like LA is the is the place of residency for Henry um, 
but what Nicole wanted was an even split of custody rights between her and Charlie. But Nora, without consulting with her, without asking her, just went and instead, because they had won at this point, shifted the needle so it was 55-45. Yeah. And there's something about that fucking number, like treating a kid like that, where they, like, divide it down there like it's a fucking sandwich platter, where I get a little bit more because she wanted a win. Direct quote from her. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the... The ice, the the shit icing on the turd cake of the whole legal affair, where just because she can do that, she does, even though it was against the express wishes of her client, and just because she wanted to have a win, not because it would be better for Henry. Like Henry, like Nicole gets like an extra day a month or something out of this, as far as custody goes, and so. I appreciate, like, I appreciate, like, how unrelenting this film is in its criticism of the legal industry, because that's what this is. Let's call it an industry. Because it, it is all about, like, capitalism's worst success, like, exploiting all available avenues for criticism of another person, demeaning them, um, pushing for, like, assets and value, like, and not treating people as human beings. Even the one lawyer who is claimed to be treating Charlie as a human being eventually just kind of gets stuck in his own shtick. <laughs> yes. Which is which is just, yeah, and, and eventually can't even give him decent advice. Like, even he struggles to, like, say what he can do that doesn't make him come across as bad. I know. When, <laughs> I know. When, and the thing is, like, there is plenty one can criticise Charlie for, as revealed in the events of this film, like his infidelity. Mm-hmm. But the fucking LA, New York, Schrodinger's apartment bullshit um, is not one of them. It's fucking stupid. So I will say, though, about going back to that thing about Nora and the revelation that she went for the extra 5% custody time, that's something that is revealed to Nicole and nothing comes of it other than the final punctuation mark on this long sentence of how awful the legal system is, which may be the point in itself, but... I wish there would have been more of a thing for that, like, because it's so petty. And, like, Nicole's like, you did that against my wishes. Yeah, and then next scene. Well, I think um, it kind of goes to this larger point that you were making about about Henry and the way that he is such a passenger... In, yep. in the movie and sort of yep. his agency and wants and everything like that aren't aren't explored too much like you know he's part of a lot of different scenes there's some great scenes with him but you know um he he has fallen behind on his reading and i think the implication is meant to be that his life has has been so kind of turned upside down by you know what's been going on for however many months that it's affected him in school and it's it's affected his life in these kind of negative ways that the parents are unable to to get a grip on for a little while and he's doing better by the end of the movie you know and he says he likes his new school better and all that kind of thing and and yeah but the kid is really just sort of you know like i said the 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 parent the mom and the dad get kind of swallowed by this machine and the kid becomes like a like a football, you know. You're just scoring points. You're uh, like he's an asset, 
a stock or something like that. Um, he could be a sack of jewels. You know, and, uh, this, and they and this, they this, this movie hmm. does a really good job of like that's not all they're thinking of him as. Clearly, they're the parents love him and they're spending time with him. Oh yeah, but like I mean, the fact that like the time that you know Charlie's reduced to spending with him in that one scene is driving around town to try to find uh, a lawyer that is that can take his case because the the system says if one if, if a lawyer has consulted even just had a meeting uh with one of the parties they're not legally allowed to take the other one's case and if i may interject yeah, yeah. i get the strong impression that rule was again created with the best of intentions like you can't have a elongated discussion with another lawyer to you know try and keep the impartiality there but it's something people could game yes. in order to make it extremely difficult like much as i hate to say it like there are lawyers like you know who are good at their job and those that are aren't so if you were in a scrupulous shitbag and you were going through divorce proceedings you could f- go through the list of all the lawyers uh that in the area who are good and deliberately contact them with no actual desire to then take through them because you might already have your existing lawyer underway or something like that and then you've blocked your partner from taking your your, your you know from taking action with them and then they get stuck with um Saul Goodman's like you know low rent cousin or something. <laughs> yeah, it it's like again hubris, best of intentions, but the outcome is awful, absolutely appalling. So yeah, um, good on. I was not expecting this work to be as political as it is in that sense, where it's got a very deep and unrelenting criticism of the U.S. legal system when it pertains to family law and how it. Tr- can't treat like like the human experience of going through a separation as an actual human experience and instead as something to be picked apart like it's a an, like a dead animal being dissected I know, so I, I, know. I appreciate for that it's it's rough and i'm glad they didn't pull any punches on that from things like the cost of it to in terms of money to the fact that the lawyers like you know whether in court or not are never like empathetic like truly open and empathetic like i say nora's entire persona comes across to me as a very calculated marketing brand thing yes yes 100 percent. she knows mm. who her demo is and she's oh boy playing to them no doubt um yep. is- isn't it like funny that uh in <laughs> in trying to do things quote unquote the right way like that's that's what makes this so much more horrible for for both of them uh yeah <laughs> you know what i mean if they maybe if they had just gone about it from the beginning like they intended it would not have been so cruel and crushing and awful um but you know uh you're in a really vulnerable place when you are contemplating getting a divorce when you're separated from your partner your your trust with them might not be at an all-time high so i don't know man <laughs> just so many ways it feels like uh this thing is built to take advantage of people yeah i don't think i don't think uh, nicole actually really fully understood what she was getting into when asking for a lawyer and the fact is though like i say that and i'm not even criticizing it because how often do people get divorced you know 
of course you're not going to know what it's about, <laughs> really. Unless you, this happened twice, in which case, well, <laughs> I'll not criticise too much, but you get my point. Like, what's what's going on there? You know, like, how do you how do you know like how what getting a lawyer involves uh, for family law, especially in the US, if you've never done it before? Because odds are pretty good you won't have done it before. Uh, I know. Anyway, I I will pass the baton over to you, Doc. Do you have any talking points you want to bring up? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, I think first and foremost, I want to say that like I'm thankful I watched this movie because it created like a deep well of empathy in me for people that are going through and have been through divorce. Um, you know, if, if I may, again, at the risk of oversharing, uh, my wife and I have been through a, uh, a stillbirth. One of our, uh, children, our, our first child was, uh, you know, was born, uh, not living and you know my wife was pregnant to term like everything was fine and then suddenly it wasn't on the day she had to deliver and that experience you know profoundly changed me and it also gave me this like new sort of insight and and perspective and empathy for people who have been through that or or also just miscarriages in general and like how like those things are incredibly common and yet they're also just so devastating and they're not sort of treated or thought about as the really gut-wrenching soul-twisting just mentally shattering experiences that they that they often are and i feel that that's true about divorce like i'm here walking around mm. thinking like a half the people half the couples in the world get divorced i mean that's a lot of people a lot of people you know not everyone's is like this and a lot of times you know of course there's going to be reasons to get like really i mean they had reasons in this movie but like there's going to be a clear and obvious piece of shit or abusive person and it's like this needs to happen whatever the cause you know what i mean like but yeah. so many times it's like the, you know these sort of people that i don't know are, are a lot like me <laughs> and, and uh people that just fall out of love with their partner and like they go through these really terrible horrible experiences of, of divorce and like they're just sort of expected to go to work during this time and they're expected to be normal and expected to it but but it's like i mean there's this amazing scene when uh uh Scarlett Johansson's character is uh having a very serious conversation with someone during the sort of height of the divorce and she's very on it. She's serious, she's dogged, she's put together, she's like solid. And then when it's over she just goes in her room and lays down and weeps. And it just made me think like this is like something is it's like something's dying. Like you 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 know she's like grieving for this lost thing in in her life like her marriage was like a living organism yeah. and it's it's slowly painfully dying and she's grieving while it's dying right and it's it's just awful man and it's just again made me the watching this movie has really made me appreciate like how 
how difficult this sort of thing can be for people and has, yeah, just made me rethink, you know, how I will speak and act and just sort of comport myself and, and think about other people who in my life who might be going through this and are going through this and, and have gone through this. Yeah. I always appreciate movies yeah. that make me kind of rethink things about my life like this. Yeah. Um, thank you for, for sharing that info there, Doc. Um, my, my thoughts and reactions to that are, I think that for a lot of people, unless they're going for themselves, divorce is one of those things that people think of as happening to other people. It's a thing that you know exists. Hmm. It's a thing that you know that happens. But it happens to other people, and it's that othering of it, unintentional and unmalicious as it is, in my opinion, but that it still happens, that kind of can disconnect you from like the actual pain involved with the trauma, the emotional, um, like the emotional difficulty of it all. So I agree with you that this film, like, I think that it's very honest about the emotional, um, um, the emotional pain and suffering that goes from that. Um, and I'm glad that it gave us an opportunity, gave you an opportunity to reflect on it as well. Um, yeah, it. I don't really have much to add to that other than say, like, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and it's just something to worth worth reminding, like, you know, that when someone says like that something's happened to them, whether it be a divorce or something else, um, that could be, for example, the break, like, never mind the breakdown of a, of a, of a relationship. It could be a medical issue, for example, like what you previously mm. described. We can talk about it in abstract terms as like a thing that happens, but we need to remember that there's a lot that's happening that is very internalized to the the mind and the and the soul if you will of of the people it's go they're going through it i think actually i'm going to use this as a segue onto my next talking point just talk about the presentation of the story which by which i mean like take let's take charlie's infidelity with a character named mary or something like that I'm almost convinced the name was Mary Sue, but I think that might be wrong because that would be funny if it was. No, it was Mary Ann. I'm not Mary Sue. I think that would have been too on the nose. But something I want to point out here is we don't see him actually do that. This is an event that's happened in the past. And a substantial amount of the actual events that have fermented um, under under the skin, so to speak, like since under the surface, to create this negativity, to create the dissolution of their marriage are things that we hear about but are never shown so there's of course that famous movie technique or the storytelling technique of show don't tell but that rule like many rules is something that you as a screenwriter or a writer in general learn so that firstly you do adhere to it more often than not but b you recognize when you can break it for greater dramatic effects. It's not something that you always want to stick to. If there's a creative opportunity to do so, that enhances the tale you're trying to tell. And I think this also works in favor of marriage story because all these events, they say, are things that we haven't heard about. Like, if I told, like, telling you, for example, that um, Charlie slept with Marianne, okay, he did wrong. But what's the context around that in that specific moment? Was it a moment of weakness? Did he initiate? Did she initiate? So on and so forth. We don't see that. 
and film as a medium and film animation television what have you is a medium where the creator can show us whatever they wish to do so Mm -hmm. we could have in an alternate version of this film seen that moment in full detail probably for the best we didn't for a variety of reasons but anyway my point is i think it was a very deliberate attempt on the filmmaker's part on noah bombach's part here to not show us these inciting events in detail to have them be related after the fact because take it back to the beginning where they're in the mediator's room we're also there as an audience we're coming up with judgments of our own as we as the film progresses and indeed one might argue the film plays a lot with the almost with the screen time allocation and the focus of the events um shifting back and forth on who the audience is meant to favor at any given time the answer is neither because they're both victims of this uh of this process and of course perhaps some people will still favor one over the other like some people will think that charlie's infidelity alone is enough to completely cast him aside as a person that's a personal debate to be had Mm -hmm. but it opens up the possibility that we have that debate by keeping the details only to anecdotal recollections there's no flashbacks. There's no like scene where I found a video recording of you doing it because you taped it, you monster, <laughs> which we then see. There's not even a diegetic reason for that. It's all stuff that we're told. And I think that's very deliberate and very clever on the film's part because it invites us to judge. But I think by the end, we un- we unwittingly and rightly stop judging or should stop judging and realize that there are two sides this marriage story name drop <laughs> um and both and both whether we want to discuss like the you know the value or the weight of the crimes of each person whether where they are like we can only operate on the information we're given and we end up realizing that it's still a tragedy one way or the other that this has happened and i think that yeah. ties into your point about articulating the the grief of elements of it because there's a long stretch of this film where Charlie's struggling to make things work and we don't see much of Nicole at all. She comes across as very distant and very unwelcoming. But that's a decision by the film to portray her like that because we're following Charlie so closely. We're seeing it very ground level from his perspective. But then we switch back to her and so on and so forth. The, the most, I would say, even-handed and honest the film is, and this is by design, it's not me criticising it, is the scene near the end where they have that open, like, damn-bursting like back and forth argument where they're outright raging at each other so yeah um i mean also we're talking of course about again going to the idea of marriage and parenthood as performance because they have to perform to henry by not telling him in adult terms what's going on um which is understandable given he's eight years old whether or not yes like anyway yeah so there's that, there's the performance they put on towards other people, the performance they put on to each other. Like, it all ties together quite well. Um, so, yeah, I think it was quite clever of the film to handle it that way, where we don't get, like, the like the whoosh noise flashback. <laughs> Adam Driver's making out with Marianne. Sepia flashback yeah. Back. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, we don't, we don't get any of that. We don't get someone pulling out Super 8 film or some shit like that. It's, no. We're told it. And I think that's a good example that you could teach in a class of, right, show, don't tell. I'm teaching you this so that you know that you should probably stick to it more often than not, but you should recognize when you can break it to do something, you know, creative, uh, 
you know, see something that will enhance your story. Yeah, no, totally agree. I think that would that that would have been God, that would have changed the movie a lot if it had done some of that stuff. Yeah, glad, glad it didn't. It would have made if that had happened. What would have been the case is that the at that point there becomes an objective judge of what did and didn't happen. But by keeping it all to the recollections and stories uh, told by Charlie and Nicole, respectively, um, we're allowed to properly judge them as subjective and biased opinions. And that's not criticism. Like, but that is that is always going to happen. Nicole could tell like the events of like everything that happened that she knew about from start to finish as accurately as she can, and it's still biased. That's the truth of it. Mm-hmm. It's not criticism. That's just how human beings work. So I think it was a good move for them to keep it that way rather than like pulling back and doing some fucking Twilight Zone judgment shit where like, this is what actually happened between the two. But then like, <laughs> nah, fuck that. Yeah. All right. Back, back to you, my friend. Well, I think one of, if not the most, like the striking thing and thing that'll stick with me the most about how the movie portrayed divorce is how Charlie and Nicole have to unlearn how to be physically in the same space. Yes. Yes. I mean, it is just so it is heartbreaking because, and again, it's that one of those things that makes you think, man, there was just something here. Like they had it, they had a thing. Like, and they just, they don't have it anymore, but man, you just, when, when you're living with someone and you have a kid with someone, you're spending every, you know, nearly every moment, nearly every day of your life with them. Like you get in, in sync and you get these habits of uh, how you relate to each other's bodies and when and how you touch each other. And like, I mean, she cut his hair again after <laughs> after yeah. they were uh, really in the thick of it. Like the the night that he hired Ray Liotta as his lawyer, like she, you know, he was like going to fix something around her house. He's falling back in his whole hus- husbandry kind of routine, and she's like, uh, you know, your hair's getting really long. You want me to cut it? And like haircutting is is a really great kind of stand-in, I think, for, like, intimacy. Because you have to be so close, yes. and you're doing something very delicate and personal. Uh, There's a lot of trust involved in that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, like, you know, that there'll be styled right. It's about, like, letting someone control your appearance. It's about, you know, please don't poke me in the yeah. eye with those scissors. Exactly, don't cut off it's my not, earlobe. It's, not, it's nothing I have to go through to, due to my... <laughs> uh, Stunning chrome dome. But anyway, anyway. Uh, no, I, I get you. And there's that's one of the more overt moments, but there's a little moment where um, Nicole kisses Charlie on the lips at one point. It's just a little yep. peg. But like, would you, if you take a step back, is that something you should be doing with someone you're divorcing? Is that like, the, you, you could read a lot into that gesture, like about the unconscious, like, how should I put this? The unconscious, um, uh, uh, like, norms that you do like it's almost like muscle memory it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. but there's no meaning behind it really anymore so yeah you're right that they do have to deprogram themselves i suppose in a sense and and there's a a sort of a story in that and how that kind of proceeds as the movie proceeds chronologically like 
in the beginning when Charlie is still very much in denial that this is happening, uh, when he's going to be served, he shows up at the, the, the mom's house who I'm sure you have a lot. To, I think you have a lot to say about the mom, Nicole's mother. Uh, I, I actually, I actually don't other than that. Uh, I, I'm very glad there wasn't a revelation. I'm very glad there wasn't a revelation at the end. I know. I know. I know. You, I know what you mean. Uh, she, she I, I mean she she she's called Gma apparently which I'm I'm sorry but as someone who's played video games in his life I couldn't help but think of fucking G-Man from Half-Life <laughs> every time that came up. time to choose Charlie <laughs> Oh my gosh yeah I I was definitely like I'm sort of scared that there will be inappropriate weirdness between them uh but but no, and he shows up at her house and he's like, you know, hugging her and he's like hugging and kissing Nicole and the sister. And it's like, you know, he's been told at this point, you know, he knows that things are are that she wants to end things. But I think he just thinks like, you know, this is a rough patch and we're going to get through it. And then like the, it continues throughout the movie with the the smaller gestures and like it's the cutting of the hair. And then that scene where fucking that amazing scene when they're it's it's just them two in the apartment in his new apartment alone, and they're yelling and screaming at each other. And like you said, Adam Driver's character starts crying and he's kind of doubled over. And then she like you know reaches over and like strokes him and is these these physically comforting actions because that's just sort of what you do. It's just like what you learn to do when you're when you're together, and it's like, yeah, maybe there's no meaning behind it anymore, or maybe there is. Maybe it's like the last vestiges of that, or I don't know that it's just like something was there and now it's not there, and we're having to like get used to sort of living these separate lives now. Like I just that whole that whole through line in the movie of how they're with each other physically was so like that i think was the most i I found you know as a husband thinking about what if i was going through this i found that so poignant because i'm like that that would be me because i'm a like touchy-feely person and i would you know a 17-year habit that i would have to break like a million different habits that have to do with yeah with you know physically how i am uh with my wife and like it's just thinking about doing it it's just really painful like it's like it's almost like it's not a perfect analogy, right? But it's almost like uh have you ever tried to glue two pieces of construction paper together and then tear them apart? <laughs> like there's all these oh all these like pieces of one left on the other and it's like slowly removing each piece and is painful and difficult and and or a pain in the ass, but totally I'll, separating is hard. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll expand your metaphor to say like I remember watching a Mythbusters, Mythbusters video once or clip where they basically uh, joined two phone books together by like threading, you know, like where putting all the sheets like from one in between the other. Oh my god! And then trying to separate it using things like a tractor, and it couldn't be done. Wow! It couldn't be done. The friction was just too much. Um, so yeah, I. I, I I agree with you 100% though like this if you think about it it's all the little things that you do like when you like wake up and say good morning like you know 
put a kiss on the end of a message, um, like calling someone a particular name that you reserve for them and only mm-hmm. them, or like, you know, all that sort of thing. Touching the shoulder, touching the back, quick yeah. hugs, quick kisses. Your posture toward them when they're upset, when they're happy, when they're pensive, like when they're anxious, like uh, there's just whole way of spatially and physically relating to another human being that you would have to just stop doing. Uh, it it really just it 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 drove me wild. Like thinking about it, I'm like, oh my god, like I, this would be so hard and painful. Like I and and thinking about that character, it made me. Both of I should that character. I, it's both of them. I say that character because, as a man, uh, you know, I identify more with with uh, with Charlie's character in this. Um, but both of them are having to figure that shit out, and can't imagine can't imagine how difficult it is. Yeah, and emotionally Absolutely. weird. I'm sure they're both realizing it or realizing after the fact, like, what did I just do? Like, what am I doing? You know, like just. Oh, so crazy. Yeah. I will say just my assessment of the scene when like, you know, Adam Driver breaks down and Scalios is conversing is I don't think that's them doing it out of reflex. I think that's something that they are like, I think that they're doing it because they recognize both of them are hurting each other, like are really hurting right now. Like they, I think that scene, like everything that was said in it, like I said before, it was unfortunate happened, but I think it's fortunate happened because I, I think it needed to be said. I, I'll actually dovetail on talking about that scene in more detail in a moment. Um, and what I think it's trying to get across as the core message of the entire movie. But yeah, I, I don't think it was necessarily reflex that they did that, but rather I think that just they were emotionally honest with each other to the point mm. where they were screaming at each other. But then they were also emotional in the fact that they recognized that, yeah, they'd hurt each other, that they need to stop. Mm-hmm. And they needed to try and help each other. And help their um, son. <laughs> I'll get I'll get to that. Um, so let's talk about that scene. So I want to firstly bring up the environment. Like, environment is a big part of this film. Um, I will note, like, the big, for example, when they're in the mediator's office, there's a lot of prominence in the shot given to the textbooks that he has on the window behind him. And I think that speaks to the criticism the film has of marriage media is like this as being too rote, being too script driven. Um, because if there's one thing you can say about the, the discussion that or like the argument that they have in the apartment, even though obviously it's scripted in the movie sense, it's not a scripted discussion in the emotional sense. Like they're yelling stuff that they never expected from each other. Yeah, like, totally. And that ties again back, back into the idea of them acting like there's no acting in this scene in the sense of, like, them as characters acting towards each other. It's all them, all honesty. And it's horrible. But I think it had to happen. I think they both need to really let those dams burst and scream the other Like, there's a thing in... This is probably not the best comparison, but there's there's a thing in military practice where a commanding officer will let one of their, you know, subordinates break, like, you know, speak freely. That's the thing, you know. They'll let them get things off their chest because once they've been allowed to get that emotion out there, they can then focus on what needs to be done next. Now, I'm not trying to compare one-to-one that with what happens in that scene, but I think the principle is similar. Yeah. Um, In the sense that I think 
when people are so bossled up on all the things that they hate, all the rage, all the anger, they need to get it out of their system so they can start to move forward. I I think that awful as that scene is to watch because of all the horrible things they say, I think it's a very emotionally honest scene in the sense of like, that's how people should act. Uh, or rather how people should handle this sort of stuff in the right circumstances. Cause like, I don't think it's something you should just force nature where you start simply killing each other. I mean, but you know what I mean? Like I think, yeah. yeah. But well, I, think, they should, I think this so, also, so I sort of think of it like you put it really well, but almost it's like an infection. Like they let it, they yeah. let it get to this really horrible point. And now that it's at that point, um, the the horrible pus and, and infected stuff has to be drained out from it so that then the healing can begin. But I guess ideally you'd want to not get to that point, right? You'd want to manage your relationship in a more healthy way so that it doesn't get to that extreme place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this ties into the wider message of the film because I mentioned before that I don't think any other character in this entire film, apart from Nicole and Charlie, and yes, I'm excluding Henry from this for reasons I'll get into, is a human being in the sense of the pres- the way they are presented. Like, the lawyers are cartoon characters, the marriage counsel's a cartoon character, Marianne's a cartoon character. Henry's actions, like, with the scene that follows the argument when he's with um, Charlie and the evaluator, like... He seems almost deliberately calculated to do things that are going to make life difficult for Charlie in a way that comes across like as almost parody. Like it's it's exactly what you'd expect to happen in a bad sitcom. The evaluator herself, of course, <laughs> being like, you know, someone who, who comes across like, you know, you could get better emotional support out of a Roomba. Um, not a single character in this story, in my opinion, apart from Nicole and Charlie, are human beings. Not literally, of course, but you know what I mean by that. And I think there's a very good reason for that, because I think what the message of the film is trying to get across is the only people who can truly emotionally understand each other during like these difficult times when they're splitting apart are the two people involved. We, as the audience, don't even get like to see like all the moments of us. We're seeing the end of it, but we don't see like all those little things. Like They're telling us all the inner... like pains and like moments of anger and spite that they had but we don't see that we can't know that other people can't know either the mediator can't know it he's got his script he's got his method and it immediately falls the fuck apart the theater group are all fucking vultures gobbling up the gossip of like you know what's happening with two people who are they otherwise very close to uh marianne like is Christ, the one or two scenes we see of her is like, she's just like, hey, Charlie, you want to fuck? <laughs> just, she does. There's, there's she does Frank. do that. Yes, yes. Yeah, there's, there's Frank. And am I misremembering here? But isn't Frank the name of um, Di DeVito's character in It's Always Sunny? Uh, I don't know because I've not watched that show, so I can't tell you. This is where I furiously Google. <laughs> I know. I know. Yes. Yeah, it's it is Frank. So I want to point out that Charlie is a like the name Charlie is a character in Always Sunny. So I'm sorry, but if you're an Always Sunny fan, this film is going to be very weird for you in those scenes where Charlie and Frank are interacting with each other because <laughs> it all like you could wholesale replace Charlie Day into that and um, <laughs> Danny DeVito into those characters, and I think it would still work. Anyway, anyway, 
that's my point though like i think that the film is getting across that no one not even henry child he's an eight-year-old child Millie, but i don't think he, like anyone apart from nicole and charlie can truly articulate and understand and comprehend what's going on between them like the the pain the mutual pain of a divorce is something that can only be really mm. truly understood and known by the divorcees every single other character is a cartoon character or a theater character in not in the li- in the sense that they are literally like that but like they don't come across like as real life they come across as larger than life and i think that's very deliberate mm-hmm. i think that's the message the film tries to get across anyway because that room that they're in like at the end when they're having the argument is it's his apartment but it's completely stripped bare like the walls are neutral the color tone is neutral uh this goes back to the idea of like you know the stuff on as you see on screen like the environment like all of the pretenses stripped away and this is two people being bare and open with each other in a way that's painful but extremely necessary the pus draining analogy that you brought up before no one else could do that it had to be done between two of them Mm -hmm. yes no uh that's an excellent point well said thank you right um do you have more talking points my friend hmm well i don't know um why don't you take the next one i feel like i have a lot to say and there's a lot swirling in my brain and in my gut about the movie but like i should try to give it form give the word you know bring words to the feelings like it's uh so, because I didn't take notes this time, because uh, you know, Watery Desho and all that bad pod. Uh, so yeah, why don't you continue uh, with your next I point? Will. I will. This will probably be my final big one, um, to be honest. <laughs> Although I do, I will in, uh, say that I did quite enjoy the. Uh, it was a bit on the nose, but I did quite enjoy the joke of uh, Charlie playing the invisible man uh, because he's not getting anything he wants. No one's paying attention to what he wants. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? You've, you have reminded me of a thing that I did want to say. And that is, Oh, I'll pass it back to you. Okay. Well, and this is, this, this won't necessarily be long. This is another, Hey, I can relate to this because of fatherhood. Um, I would be lost without my wife, without my partner in this whole parenting thing be a fucking nightmare for me and for the kids. It would be really, really bad and it would be a massive adjustment. And I don't know if I could do it by myself. I could, well, I should say I would figure it out cause I would be determined to figure it out. But you know, God forbid <laughs> if I'm ever in that situation, cause, uh, it would just be extremely difficult. And so seeing uh, Adam Driver's character, Charlie, adjust in that way, it was really, it was funny and sad. And, you know, it was heartbreaking and uh, and hilarious. You know, like uh, the second Halloween, like you're talking about with the, the Invisible Man, you know, he just shows up at their house thinking, well, I'm going to come along and do Halloween. And it's like, yeah, no. Um, that's not how it's going to be. <laughs> that's not how we're doing it anymore. You're going to do your own Halloween, second Halloween. Like, oh, okay. I don't know anything about where to go. Uh, I don't know anything about uh, about what to do. We don't have a group. 
it's going to be late. Uh, and they end up going to a, like a convenience store and getting some candy. Uh, and, this is- and then there's the, there's the, there's the extremely sad scene, which needed a slide whistle where Charlie empties, sorry, not Charlie, Henry empties out his plastic Thai pumpkin of sweets. We saw it earlier where he dumps a bunch of them after going out trick-or-treating earlier with uh, Nicole <laughs> um, and, and her friends. But then he goes to Charlie and he jumps out and there's just like five of them and it just needed a slide. I know. Like, such a bummer. Uh, such a bummer. And yeah, I, I know it's hard on the kid. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's he's having to relearn how to be a dad and he gets better at it as the, as the movie goes. They spend more actual time together doing doing things that henry likes and you know more time not focused on the divorce (laughs) uh yeah so so that's good and i don't know i just wanted to point that aspect of the film out as well because um because it really got me also yeah the the comedy it's one of those rare occasions where i say the comedy is at charlie's expense but it's not at the expense of like him of mocking him, if that makes sense. I know that sounds contradictory. Like, you know, there's comedy, which is laughing with and laughing at. You're laughing at him, but you're not laughing at him because he's a boob. You're laughing at him because it almost seems like the universe is destined to make yes. him suffer. Yes. And that's part of the presentation of the film. Like, cause it, some of it feels a bit theatrical in the way things come across. Like I mentioned before the fact that Henry during the evaluator, um, session when she when the Roomba lady comes visit and you know say like I am observing your child how is your dinner anyway uh occasionally like happens, asking like questions that totally disarm everyone like throw everyone off their game yeah yeah he is he is at that point being troublesome now I'm gonna just point something out real fast here because I don't think it's ever confirmed in the film. I'm sure people might have ideas on this, and I'd be well open to people correcting me on this or offering their perspective. We know Henry's behind on his ability, like his reading ability, for example. He's good at maths, apparently, Mm. even though he hates it. Are you of the opinion that he's on a special needs spectrum of some sort? Uh, It didn't. I don't think it's ever explicitly confirmed. Uh huh. Yeah, no, it's. They don't say yay or nay. It doesn't. Uh, it, it it didn't jump out at me as as a thing, but no, if, that's fair. You know, I, I'm not sure on it either. Yeah, if if other people more knowledgeable about that sort of thing, uh, say like, well, well, yes, he's clearly showing signs or whatever. Then then you know, I will take their word for. It. I defer to uh, to them. Yeah, I similarly defer to people with great knowledge. I, I'm only bringing it up because it's going to lead fi- into my final talking point a bit about Henry and the mixed feelings I have about his purpose as a character um, and a mild bit of hypocrisy the film may or may not be indulging in. Um, but I'll get to that in a moment. Um, but yeah, like that, that scene where he's just like deliberately, well, not deliberately, but where it seems like it's just like the it had to be that one day where he was going to be difficult. And that's why I wanted to operate with that note of caution about saying that because I didn't want to come across as being derisive or derogatory towards like if he if he is on a uh, if he is on a special needs spectrum. Mm-hmm. I might not even be using the right terminology. I'm I'm trying to be good about this. I really am. Sure. Um, so, but yeah, like it feels like almost theatrical, like how it was just like the one day that happened on. <laughs> of uh, yeah, yeah. I'm. Di- 
I don't know if I mentioned, but like I did find disappointing there were no real consequences from that. Like Charlie collapsing, like and like bleeding out almost, like, and we don't go like we don't go to hospital, like, and there isn't like what could have been in a much lesser version of the film, a saccharine follow up where she's like, "Oh, I saw you working so hard for him. Let's try and make this work." <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 yeah, no, no. Yeah. Um, but but the fact that like the fact that that happened and nothing came of it, like it's just a year later. I, I know it's a funny scene. That this film is two hours fifteen. I can't help but wonder if it could have been excised. I'm not sure, like what it ultimately accomplishes beyond just being amusing. So, can you lay the scene out for me again? This is the entire evaluate scene where she comes in, observes uh-huh. Charlie and Henry, and, and like Henry's being difficult. Charlie ends up cutting himself with a knife right. and then passes out because he's right, you right, know right, right. that that whole thing from that to point when she arrives the end, like the idea of reporting special evaluates, like. That's brought up in the court. Mm-hmm. But I am of the opinion you could skip that entire scene and not lose anything from the film beyond just an amusing scene. I'm not sure what it adds mm. substantially to the narrative because you could go from, we're going to point a special evaluator to look at this, leave that out, and then still go to the scene where Nora discusses the the outcome of the case, and you can infer everything you need to infer about what happened from that. Like, in fact, we don't even know if like that was the deciding factor in the decision that was made to award custody primarily to or like to to rule in Nicole's favor. But the actual core outcome is not shown. Mm-hmm. So it's a funny scene. If the film were like ninety minutes and that was in already and everything else was trimmed, fine. I wouldn't want to trim that out. But I don't know. I feel like an edit of this film could take that scene out. Mm. But. Well, do you, it's a minor complaint. Yeah, I mean, do you think like that it's just meant to underscore how, uh, and in a very kind of direct way, how invasive the whole process of getting a divorce through the American legal system is? I mean, it's invasive in a number of ways, but this feels like it's just the the sort of direct metaphor for like here's a, a thing: the legal system coming into your life and like putting you under this microscope and like really going after you. Um, maybe they could have done it another way. I don't know. Um, um I suppose it does under- underscore, as you say, but like, I think at this point, the film has pulled no punches with how it feels about the legal system, like the lawyers uh, and all that. And I think that if that were the case, like we, sh- like they really want to properly underscore it. We should have seen like the f- decision where that facts it, event factored in because it doesn't have we don't see the outcome like we just get told about afterwards Mm -hmm. um i mean you could imagine the scene like where um (laughs) like they have the court scene and like the judge is going i rule in favor of this and charlie looks over the evaluator's there and she's just drinking a glass of water and barely otherwise looking alive like she's just like a statue (laughs) you can you can see the comedy moment there in that (laughs) um but yeah like I think at that point, like the film's eye of towards the legal system and the lawyers and all that, and the way it treats Charlie and Nicole for that matter, um, is laid bare. Yeah, I guess it's already... like it's already there. I guess this is a different aspect, like your, uh, you know, your relationship with your with your kid is also pro, and that that that's not supposed to be broken, right? That's like pure, and hmm. it's being prodded and. You you have potentially, 
you know, like uh, for them, the thing they care most about is like losing their son, losing like either entirely or losing more time with him than they feel is as appropriate. So like, yeah, uh, I don't know it. It's it's a little I guess it's just a little bit different uh, to me in in that way. Um, I'm watching the scene right now and he's just cut himself horribly badly. <laughs> it's happening all over again. So it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, right. Well, on that note, given we've discussed him a lot, but I've kind of skirted around him, which feels almost appropriate for the criticism I'm going to make. Let's talk about Henry. Yes. Let, so I'm going to lay out there. Is it kind of hypocritical for the film to present Henry as kind of like another asset, so to speak, but spend so much time like also denigrating the lawyers and such and the legal system, like, you know, and how it treats him as an asset. Mm -hmm. Because Palmy can't help but wonder, like, Henry only, I suppose, really learns about, emotionally learns about what's been going on at the very end when he reads, like, the note. But even then, like, a lot of his, like, discussion, or, like, the things he says about, like, what he wants to do, like, I like to go to this school, like, I don't know, it doesn't ever come across like he f- understands what's going on. Now, he doesn't. I'm not he saying totally that they... Sh- no, 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 no. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not saying, like, that he should be like, sat down and they should go, right, this is a divorce, I'm going to take you through all the horrible shit that happens. We'll also make you watch an episode of Jerry Springer, just for lols. <laughs> so you understand, like, how bad it can really get, uh, or how cartoonish it can really get, I suppose. But, like, all this discussion, like, of, oh, Henry's needs, Henry's wants, and all that, and such and such and such. Uh-huh. And, like, you know, th- and the fact that we're, you know, critical of the lawyers for commoditizing it. But the film is commoditizing him as well, because it is not about him. It's about Nicole and Charlie. Mm-hmm. I made the joke before that he could be replaced with a sack of jewels. And, okay, sack of jewels can't talk and can't make life hell for you while you're trying to cook when, you know... The ro- the social worker robot comes and visits, <laughs> but I don't know. There's something there's something that feels like it's counterintuitive, like or hypocritical about like the, his presence as the child in this. In fact, that might be the best way for me to describe it. He is the child. He's Henry in name, but not Henry in character. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure if I'm articulating this well, but it's like something just doesn't feel right about mm. it. Well, I would, I guess I would say like that, again, I feel like it's by design. I feel like, you know, it is marriage story, not necessarily family story, right? So like, I think the main focus is the the husband, the wife, the relationship ending. Now, huge part of that, of course, is their son, but he like is not... Yeah, he's just not the the principal character whose emotional life we're meant to see and really get invested in. You know, he's very yeah. easy to kind of, I think, figure out. You know, he's just a he's a kid. He's an eight year old kid. If you've ever been eight, you probably mostly understand how he feels and, and what's going on in his in his mind and everything through all this. Um, and, and we see a lot of him. And again, yeah, I think. You know, I, I guess we've said it before, but 
uh, I, I do think that you could definitely read this movie as doing this sort of thing on purpose to, again, highlight the fact that in divorce proceedings, the children are often made, you know, to be, uh, a commodity. Yeah. A thing to be lost in one or, or divided equally or unequally rather than, you know, this whole full human being that we're thinking about. Um, and the legal system can treat them that way. The parents can kind of get goaded into treating them that way. Um, and so, yeah, maybe the film is, is trying to get at, at that aspect of yeah. divorce. I, I do think it's very deliberate that like going back to why I thought it was the primary message of the film, that like the only two people who can truly understand it and really move things forward are the pe- the direct people involved. Everyone else is useless or deliberately malicious because they're exploiting a, and gamifying a late stage capitalistic system etc etc but i don't know like i'm just not convinced that you can have it both ways really where you can make a big song and dance in the film about you know the fact that henry is commoditized um and treated as an asset to be split over like 55 45 again to go back to those numbers if that makes any sense in terms of scheduling um but then also not really give us much like of his perspective beyond once or twice. Now, this is the point where I must stress though, he is an eight year old kid. I don't, and he, I don't know, like I've not been eight years old for over 500 years personally, um, being as old as I am. So maybe I, I don't know. I'm, and again, this is why I also felt it was important to bring up when it happened with my own parents, when they got separated. Cause I was, still obviously an emotionally immature teenager, but I was a teenager and older. I was, I was aware of it. I was upset. You know, I was angry. Um, it did cause a lot of pain for me. And I don't think Henry ever really gets the chance to articulate the pain that he's going through as a result of this. Not really. Like there's once or twice where he says like, I prefer it here or I prefer it there, but he speaks what he speaks about in terms of what he likes is materialistic. Like it's about school location, that kind of thing. Um, It's not about like emotion necessarily. It's like, he says, I love mom more or something, but I don't know. You have, you you haven't been around too many little kids lately. Have you? No, of course not. (laughs) I, I, this to me feels like a really, it feels like a genuine portrayal of of a kid that age. And, And again, like, as, yeah. as someone who went through, you know, the death of a father and separation and divorce around that age between seven and nine, like, you know, you, you, there's not a lot of conscious emotion that you're, that you're feeling, you know, there's a lot of unconscious things and subconscious things, I should say, rather, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that are going on due to the instability in your life, but you don't even have the words to articulate how you feel about uh, a book you read, let alone this horrible destabilizing situation. You know, your parents, you don't even know what like divorce sort of is, what it means to be in love or fall out of love. You know, it's like, you just know mommy and daddy are, are separating and it's weird. 
it's really weird. <laughs> and like, yeah, this is what I like. I, I like it in this place. I like my room. I like my school. Like it, it felt, I don't know. To, to me, it felt authentic. It didn't, it, it, it yeah. would have been a little I, bit weird and, and theatrical in some senses, right. Mm. For the kid to, to sort of have a soliloquy, you know, about their, you know, feelings about it. So I don't know. Mother, thou dost protest too much about thy far, my father's uh, theater location. Yes. Without my father in, figure, yonder, yonder yacht. without a father figure in my life, I'm going to grow up, uh, not respecting myself uh, or without the true idea of masculinity or like, you know, I mean, that's, that's all just stuff that you figure out happened to you later on when you're an adult. <laughs> you don't I'll even say this. Like, it. I don't want, I, I, I don't want the marriage story expanded universe to reveal Henry grew up to make a right wing YouTube <laughs> channel. Yes. Henry fell into the manosphere. Rip. Oh God. <laughs> He's shilling. These shilling shitty fucking pills <laughs> made entirely of corking powder yes, and yes, moss poles. Yes. <laughs> Living at Tim Pool's compound. He's misrepresenting studies he reads because <laughs> his reading ability is not up to par. <laughs> so sorry. It's true. I'm not mocking Emery as much as I'm mocking those fucking wankers on the right. But anyway, sorry, I couldn't resist. No, I, 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 think, I, I think you're right. And I think that it's one of those things where the film does have a point it wants to make about the, you know, only the, you know, the two partners can truly emotionally understand what's going on and actually move forward in solving it. Not even the kids can do that, not the lawyers. And so I think that between that and giving Henry more screen time and letting him, like, even just emote a little bit, like, not saying, like, yes, to have, like, a long, you know, oh, what... Oh, the, these halcyon days, blah blah blah, like some shit like that, or like where he even starts talking in a way that doesn't reflect an eight-year-old, or even how he's portrayed in the film, like you know where he's just being feeling sad. Like I, there is that scene at the end where like he sat down on the curb, mm-hmm. uh, be, being wistful, and that conveyed a lot. And mm. I think maybe that's why I was looking for more of perhaps mm. some more awareness, like that something wasn't right, rather than just I'm hungry, uh, you know that kind of thing this is a petty complaint on mm. my part though and i don't think it really applies i'm just trying to math i'm i'll like work out in my head like how i ultimately feel about it but i think in terms of coming down on the point that i mentioned before about the emotional like understanding and dialogue between two people and that only those two people can actually true have it and truly move forward i'm in favor of that being the lesson the film takes forward i'll For say sure. you can't seek help from other people of course there are people out there who will genuinely help you if you're going through a rough spot like this, even if it's just a temporary separation or a bad patch. But yeah, uh, it holds no love for people on the outside looking in, thinking they know best Ugh. in whatever form that comes in. Man, this this guy at the end who ended up with uh, ScarJo's character, he he did well for himself as a horse. <laughs> <laughs> He, there was, he moved up in the attraction bracket. <laughs> there was there was a really nice little thing, by the way, where Charlie and him are talking about, like, I'm going to share you an article. Like, you uh-huh, don't need a long uh-huh. screed on what that is. But I like that that goes to show, like, in just one line, like, that Charlie's totally okay. And is actually going 
to the next level, which I think is cultivating a positive relationship out of it. I think it would be extremely easy to portray this other guy as just Scarlett Johansson's new, you know, love interest. But he and himself, like, you know, is playing a part in Henry's life and in in a way that shows it can be, like, a positive thing. Um, He's playing a part in Charlie's life as well. Like, he, you know, I think that that's a very positive and mature way to look at it, that those kind of relationships can happen where there's a rearrangement, but everyone's good with each other. It's not just, oh, you're my wife's new squeeze or my ex-wife's <laughs> new squeeze, and I don't really care. Like, no, I'm going to actually go out of my way to be, you know, to be good with you. I think, yeah, it does demonstrate a lot of personal growth on the character's part. You know, yeah. like, uh, okay, you're going to be part of my ex-wife's life, and she's someone that, despite us having ended things, I, I care about. Uh, and you're part of my son's life, who I care about. And if that's the case, then I should figure out how to incorporate you in a positive way into my life and not be some kind of wedge or negative force, some dark cloud over it. You know, you don't, don't want yeah. that. <laughs> I feel like earlier on in the, the film, he would have been that, <laughs> but. Oh, in, in, in the earlier on the film, he would have just probably sort of piss off. But mm-hmm. yeah, like nice little moment that like the, for all the grandiosity, like, you know, the big, I mean, going back to that scene again, like when they're in the apartment and yelling at each other, that is a theater stage moment yeah. if ever there was one. That really is. Like, they're literally actors who are no longer acting but are still performing an act, uh, well, uh, something that would on paper seem extremely theatrical, which is the great big screaming, you know, like, I'll tell you this, right? If you did that scene, if you took, like, an off-cut of that scene and instead just gave Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver scripts, script books, and then had them read the exact same lines, you'd think it was a play. Mm-hmm. Not just because of that, but like because the lines come across like that way, like and the way it's staged and set, like it's very plain, it's very minimalist. You could literally move the furniture and the walls and nothing would change. Although I do think the the Spartan nature of the room also makes the again gels with the point about them being honest. Like there's nothing there's no bullshit around it or anything anymore. It's just straight and honest <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah anyway i have said as much as i can say about the film beyond just the fact that i thought it was really good i'm very glad that my pick turned out all right uh and i was pleasantly surprised that it had scope beyond simply just being about the those two people and the divorce that they were going through and had things to say about the society that we live in um, and I'm not just talking about the lawyers, but again, one thing we didn't really elaborate on too much, but it's worth pointing out is it's also equally critical of people, as I say, being like, you know, gossip mongers about one's divorce. Like, there's a couple of scenes, I think it's the only time we ever really peel away from either Charlie or Nicole, like early on, where the, the base performers are all like had in groups at a bar saying like, oh, I thought they were going to make it work this time. Oh my like, God. <laughs> none, none of your fucking business. Yeah, and then and the irony, of course, of people who perform for a living and being judged for their performances in turn now judging someone for some people, two people, something that is not a performance. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I'm all done with the film. I have nothing more to say. It's very good. I can highly recommend it. Bravo to Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver for getting to do something outside their usual wheelhouse that shows that they are legitimately good actors. Uh, I hope they get the opportunity to do more of that in the future. 
I get the acting in this movie is so goddamn good. It is, it is nuts. Like the, like I'm just watching the final scene that we talked about where uh, Henry is reading the letter to Charlie and he's reading the part about how, how, uh, uh, Nicole wrote that uh, he always Charlie always dresses well. He's never looks embarrassing, which is difficult for a man. And like the just the little, just the tiny hint of a smile at the corners of Adam Driver's mouth is just like amazing. It's like because he's reading this old letter that was written at this really painful time in his life, so it's probably really hard to go back through this whole journey, but like reading this nice thing, like his wife said about him and like just finding that like wistful little moment of, of, of happiness. And there's all kinds of little stuff like that apart from, yeah, like you said, there's the big, you know, screaming at each other and crying and like punching the wall and, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's amazing. But there's like, it just, the, the little moments like when they're cutting each other's hair or sorry, she's when she's cutting his hair and uh, you know, they're, they're exchanging looks or uh, whenever they sort of look like they're helpless uh, d- drowning in all the legal jargon and like, they don't know what the fuck they need to be doing. Um, yeah. And how they sort of are, you know, look back at each other at different times. Like, I don't know. It's, it's all really, really well done. Oh my God. The last scene in the movie, she ties a shoe. So there's still, there's still this sort of like, uh, I, I, and, and you don't get the sense that there's like any kind of lingering flames. It's just like, we spent 10 years together and this is what we did for each other. And like old habits die hard. Um, they're, su- they're still supporting each other. Like it's not just a relationship where they're solely focused on supporting their son. Mm-hmm. they support each other like they're like i think there's a mention like you know of nicole beginning like an award for directing yeah and charlie is genuinely proud of her for doing that mm-hmm. like also a little surprised because <laughs> that's one of those things that he, if she felt like he never allowed her to do yeah um, we haven't provided a huge amount of context to, to, to like the breakup and all that but like this is all in the film and I, and uh, we've talked a lot about it but like yeah definitely go watch oh, yeah, it it's uh, great give it a chance it's, it's a tremendous movie um, again like you're, you're probably going to be thinking oh the divorce movie this is going to just hurt and be slow painful and it can be painful but it can be funny and it can be charming and it can be satirical and theatrical and uh and also like and also painful but in a way that like you know i don't know just sort of makes you reflect on relationships and being human and how you treat other people that i think is is really really worthwhile and you know you'll probably be a little melancholy for the a, a day or so after you see it but like you know hey that's that's a lot of movies right and and i think it's it's a worthwhile watch absolutely yeah to, to borrow to, to continue your uh sequence of descriptors for it, i'd also say the thing that is is honest yeah oh yeah it's honest about it's honest about like how awful we can be to each other but it's also honest about how good we can be to each other mm-hmm. if we if we give each a chance you know? oh i'm so glad you said this um, i'm so because there's actually another thing like one of the things i was afraid this movie was going to do is say 
this is how all relationships inevitably end. They're all going to go bad. No relationship. Uh, no marriage is meant to last. This is this is marriage story because this is a prototype for marriage. This is as, as good as you can hope for uh, in today's postmodern world or whatever. But like, it just did not come across like that at all to me. It just, it felt like these are just these two fully formed individuals and they just, they just, they had something and it was wonderful, but it, it, it slowly soured and then kind of poisoned them both. And they drifted apart and needed to come apart for both of their sakes and ultimately probably their son's sake. And like, um, shit. I had a point where I was going to say, Oh yeah. And, and it, it just felt like this is, this is a possible outcome for marriage. It didn't at all feel like that it was some sort of condemnation of, of marriage, uh, or anything like that to me, which is another thing that I thought, Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> this is this is going to be nope. some huge giant downer about the possibilities of human relationships, and it's just not it's just not like that. And and uh, no. and it ends. I would say it ends. I don't not even not happily. Bittersweet. Yeah, but it's like man that they both needed this. They both kind of needed to be apart. Um. And they're be- they're both better for it. Yes, I think I um, think that is a, which a great I, way to put it. I think that's also to but to draw on your point. Um, it's also extremely good. The film, you know, I said about like devaluing Henry and all that stuff we debated before. I think that it's also extremely good that the film doesn't end on the note that they're doing whatever they're doing solely for his sake. He's a big part of it, mm-hmm. possibly the biggest part. But the pie chart, like of of you know reasons why. And who this is for also includes them in significant portion. Yeah, like I, I am very much of the opinion, speaking as someone who is childless and will remain so probably for the rest of his life, um, that a marriage—if you have kids, like your kids become the biggest part of your life—but that's a relative term. You still have your relationship to each other. You still have your own personal well-being, each of you. Um, so that still remains vitally important. And the film had ended in such a way where it was like, even if they hadn't got back together, but they simply said, we're going to do our best for Henry and Henry alone. I'd be like, how narrow, how extremely narrow minded of it, but it doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everyone, everyone is better for it. They're not living like a fantasy happily ever after, but they've healed. They've improved. They've progressed. Um, and it's going in a positive direction for this. Sometimes, not that the act of divorce, as it is, you know, as it takes place in the American legal system, is great. But like you said, sometimes after that's all said and done, and the two separate lives kind of diverge, everyone's better for it. And that's a great way to put it. And uh, on that note, I will say, fuck you, Steven Crowder. <laughs> 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 to be to be topical. Oh. <laughs> are you are you aware of this? God. Is have his whole Oh I uh, oh I I know I his know his whole and, business uh, of not wanting divorce to be something that a woman can just up and do. 
Uh, yeah. But what he really means by that is he wants women to be property. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. That's, that's all it is. So, and fuck that guy. Yeah. Anyway. I, I, don't have anything, I don't have anything to add to that. Anyway. He's, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, I will end on a note by saying that, on an, just an amusing note, just to palate cleanse all that, is uh, this film's Wikipedia entry has a section specifically devoted to internet memes what i'm not even joking what i missed this it's only a paragraph long internet memes <laughs> despite its tone and themes marriage story has spawned internet memes according to wired a meme of adam driver punching a wall during charlie and nicole's argument <laughs> scene has contributed to recontextualizing charlie and nicole's fight into something light and silly Driver punching a wall has been repurposed to represent general arguments over trivial matters in which a participant becomes angry and overreacts. Can I be blunt here about something? This is such a crock of shit, this comment. Because that assumes that, like, people, like, who see that meme, like, have the full context of the film. Yeah. And still choose to recontextualize it as something... Like, the point of a meme usually is that it's something out of context that you can enjoy in its own right. Like, as a little sliver of silliness. I've seen that meme before. I made one myself that was a did reference you? to Silly Bang. If you... <laughs> yes, I did. I did, as a oh, matter of fact, well before I watched this. So funny. And guess what? I've watched this film now, and I don't think it trivializes the actual scene at all. No. That's such a load of bollocks, that. <laughs> it is. I'd, uh, it's silly. Too, like, like... If you go, if you see the meme first and then you watch the film, you'll be fine. And I'm willing to bet you that if you watch the film and see the meme afterwards, you'll probably have a similar reaction. Like you can compartmentalize them as different things. Y- yes, of course. How like that? That's dumb. That's we should waste. Don't don't waste any more time thinking about this dumb comment. This is ridiculous. Wired. More oh. like tired. <laughs> oh oh. Uh. Anyway. Right, that will be that then for our discussion of marriage stories. So, if you've enjoyed this podcast and are thinking to yourself that you want to send us a little retainer of $10,000 and make sure that we work for $450 an hour, well, we're not lawyers, so you shouldn't do that. But what you can do is you can financially remunerate us, there's a long word for you, by popping over to co-fi.com forward slash Desho and popping a couple of quid our way. Um, that will get you, of course, access to our Discord, uh, where we can have uh, all sorts of fun times chatting around random nonsense. We do plenty of banter. Uh, and, of course, we will have question channels for um, future works that we'll be covering. Speaking of which, now I'm the one who's the master of the segue. Um, our next work that we'll be covering will be another film, but it will not be a live-action one. This does require a bit of context, though, because at the time that I decided on picking this film... Um, the, the late great Leiji Matsumoto had sadly passed away. It's not we've not um we have covered some of his stuff before, but when I say that, we covered Interstellar yeah. 5555 way back when in the early days of the podcast. Um but that work I've since learned, like he was involved in it, but it's only really a partial involvement. Even though I mm-hmm. think some people might mistake him, and I certainly would have as being like the primary contributor and creator of that, which is not true. Um, But it occurred to me that, you know what? 
and admittedly, I don't think it's a great thing that I only thought of this because he had passed away. I should have done this sooner, but it occurred to me in the spirit of Wari Desha and being about me, at least for me, <laughs> like, you know, covering and learning things that I've not seen before, or learning about things I've not seen before, we should look at some more of his work. Hell yes. So I, am, so I am very pleased to say that our next entry that we'll be covering on Wari Desha will be the Galaxy Express 999 movie. We're not doing the show because the show is over 100 oh episodes long. <laughs> oh, way too long. We're only end up, we'll be back here this time next year doing the pod if we did that. But I feel that from what I've gathered, um, that the film is standalone enough to mm. where we can judge it on its own merits without needing the wider context, which is really good. And I'm also fascinated about Maytel, the main oh. female character. Um, in <laughs> don't take oh. you can take that out of context all you want. I'm fascinated in the sense, like, I've seen her used to advertise products in Japan. She seems like a very popular character. I mean, I'm certain she's been used to advertise beer, for example. So <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to dig, digging into, like, the cultural background and impacts of that. I, too, I too am fascinated. Just... <laughs> yeah. No, listen, so, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about how hot Maytel is and how cool her hat is and how great she is. Get Get ready for that. And, uh... Um, She's like the prototypical Leiji Matsumoto, like, heroine design. Like, so many of the ladies that he draws look like this. She's she's pretty classy looking. Also, I am about 100% convinced that, going back to my Guilty Gear roots, um, in the more recent games, the character of Millia Rage uh, <laughs> basically yeah. has the profile of her. Like, she wears the same kind of hat, looks broadly similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll send you pictures after the. After oh, the call I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> you know. Oh, you know. Yeah, you know. Like, wasn't the case in the in like some of the older games? But she got the hat later uh, uh, at Xer times, right? In yeah. the X and double X, she didn't have the hat. Uh, nope. But they've just made her more, more of a Maytel- cami outfit. That she yeah. Had. Now that they've made her more Maytel like for sure. Yeah, and and I've 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 ever since I made that connection, I can't unsee it. Uh, but yeah, I'm very excited to cover that. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting to know more of Leigh Matsuo's work. This won't be where we'll stop with his work, by the way. It won't be immediately after this, but we'll be covering more of it in the future. So definitely do look out for that. After which, uh, it'll be back over to Doc to pick our next round of film and anime. But we do hope you'll join us for it. Uh, Doc, where can people find you in the wild, wild, wild west of the wild, wild web? Um. Well... I suppose if you want to, you can find me on Twitter at the subtle doctor. But honest to God, uh, I think about closing it all the time. Um, I am I'm surprised at the number of people still on that I know, but but I know that there are a lot of different reasons people uh, feel like that they either need to use it or want to stay in touch with people. So I don't want to make this a moral thing, but I just uh, have drifted away from it. And uh, but but you can still, you know, if you tweet me, if you if you at me on Twitter at the subtle doctor, I will respond to you. But don't don't look to my feed as a uh, any anything remotely interesting. Uh, but I'm but mainly I'm on uh, I'm on Discord these days. So uh, if you if you join the server, uh, I will be there to chat with um so yeah uh look me up in those places 
Definitely, definitely. I don't disagree with you about feeling cynical and dejected about the way Twitter's going right now, but we're not going to litigate that right now for, for the sake of time. Um, <laughs> fuck you, Elon Musk. You yeah, ne- neither of us have been anyway. invited to Blue Sky yet. Ah. <laughs> uh, <it, laughs> I, I don't have much faith in it at all because it's Jack from Twitter right. making it all over again. And he and he and he was the dipshit who said like he believed that Musk would be like good enough to extend the light of consciousness, only to immediately recognize afterwards like that what a mistake oh, he no. made. <laughs> well, he and the company. And I all I can say to myself is like, you incredulous idiot. You can't like all the signs were there beforehand, and now you're claiming like, oh god, what a mistake spineless spineless tube worm of a man <laughs> don't trust him to not make the same mistakes again god i do get angry at the end of these podcasts don't i when i'm wrapping up i'll leave it there i'm gonna i'm gonna stop as for twitter yes you can find me on it still i'm at shade and 1010 you can ask me about anything if you're a blue tick user i um who's paid for twitter blue i will block you on site fuck off forever um right on that happy note i will leave you all there um doc thank you very much for joining me in, on this discussion it's been great i'm glad you really enjoyed the film uh, i'm glad we both did like it was a bit of a wild card pick this a bit of a shot in the dark but absolutely worth it if you've enjoyed this podcast we hope to see you again next time when we'll be covering galaxy express 999 but until then as we often say here as we know we're still fans of macross and we'll be until our yeah. dying days embrace you for everyone to the end of the universe Good night. Bring back the brothers. Bye bye.